Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So I want to focus on this concept of love. Last week, I was trying desperately to do that, and I was under the weather. It was hard to preach last week. It was tough. But now I got my front row seat. Brother Chuck's back, and uh, he encourages me just by looking at him. I say, man, I can, I can preach this guy. And if, if all of you guys just, just doze out on me, I can preach right here to this guy, and I can feel like it's all worth it. So I'm excited this morning because we're going to be preaching and talking about love. I think it's so fundamental. It's so important that we understand about love. If God says he is love, then how can we serve a God unless we know what that is? So I want to talk more about it. And in a month like February, it could be no more confusing than any other time of the year. Oh, love is that warm and fuzzy feeling I feel. Love is that thing that gives me the card or the candy. Love is that force that allows me to go out to dinner and feel googie gaga about the person sitting next to me. Maybe. But the Bible says so much more. And so I want to take a look at that. And I want to start by reminding you what love feels like. You see... We all need to be loved. We long to be loved. We all need to feel love. We desperately desire to feel loved. We all look anywhere and everywhere for love in the smallest of situations in the smallest of people. Why? Because as human beings, we all know the simple truth that love is the single most powerful motivational force in the world. You do not need to be a Christian to know this. You do not need to be a senior citizen. You do not need to be married. You do not need to understand how this world works. Even our little babies, little Elijah, is that how you got there? Even little Elijah can understand the need to be loved. The Bible says a lot about love. And if I ask you to turn to the love chapter in the Bible, most of you seasoned Christians say, oh, I know. I know what 1 Corinthians is. I'm going to flip through there. I think it's verse, I mean, chapter 13. I heard that a hundred times at weddings. Yeah, chapter 13 of Corinthians says a lot about love. But there's another chapter 13 in the Bible. And it teaches us something about love that often goes way overlooked. And I believe that today we're going to share a little bit more. And I hope to God, I prayed right here, I prayed, Lord, open our eyes to a new kind of love that we may understand and we may be changed through it. So church, if you would, you can open your Bibles up to John chapter 13. This is not the kind of love you're going to see in Songs of Solomon, not the kind of of description you're going to hear about in 1 Corinthians. Church, if you will, would you honor the Lord this morning? I want you to stand with me as I read just one verse. 
13, verse 1. I want you to stand because I want you to be awake. I want you to hear it. I want you to feel it. I want you to know it. It's not enough for it to be true. You must know the truth. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. This is the moment right before the Last Supper. This is the moment right before he is betrayed. And look what he says. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. God loves you. He loves you from the beginning. He loved you when he was walking this planet before you were born. He loves you when you were making your mistakes. He loves you when you woke up this morning. Do you understand today that God loves you? And not only does he love you, he sent his son down to this planet, and he loves you, even to the very end. No matter where you are, what you've done, what you're thinking, or how life is going, God loves you. You are loved. Now, before you sit, I want to say it like this. Make no mistake. God sees you where you are this morning. He knows you're here. He knows why you came here. He knows what you're all about. You cannot hide from him. He knows who you are. Regardless of what you pretend or think you are, he knows what you're really thinking. And despite all of that, he still loves you. You are loved. And his word says that the same way that Jesus loves us, we are to love each other in the same way. Amber had us do it this morning and greet one another. As you are deciding to sit down, I encourage you to turn your neighbor left and right, and I encourage you to look at them and say, you are loved. Some people figured it out. You're loved in Jesus' name. You can be seated, church. We need to hear that. You don't understand how powerful it is to hear that. Children who live in foster homes, go sometimes their whole life without hearing it and tell a child that they are loved and have not felt love and you will see a miraculous change in their face. We must love. And God was first to do so. So you can scan in your Bible and you can read the rest of chapter 13. You're going to see that this is when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And after that time, Peter freaked out. He's like, don't wash my feet. You know, wash my whole body. You know, he says, you don't get it, Peter. Calm down. If I don't wash your feet, you're not even my disciple. Let me do this. And then, as many of you know, the Last Supper ensued. In the Last Supper, we all know this story, right? This is the story where Jesus sat and gave the Passover feast to all of his disciples, all 12, whom he loved you see, Jesus knew one betrayed him. Jesus was about to say who betrayed him. And yet before that, he reminded every one of them that he loved them. Despite what we have done, despite what we're thinking about doing, he still loves us. And he gives us every opportunity to turn to him. So what happens here, and I want you to, you can scan down to verses 21 to 25. I want to read them real quickly. It says, now Jesus was deeply troubled he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. 
the disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. The disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Heavenly Father, allow this scripture to permeate our soul this morning. Allow the passion of what I have to say to come out. Lord, allow the truth, Lord, to be settled into our soul, into our soil, and let it bear good fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Church says? Amen. Amen. Church, do you realize that there's a lot of things that deeply trouble Jesus? Your actions deeply trouble Jesus. There are many times we do things that do not honor him. We think things that do not honor him. We scheme and plan for things that do not honor him. The word says he was deeply troubled. The world wants to portray Jesus. The world wants to turn their back on God. And there are many of us Christians, disciples if you will, that say, no, not me. So the disciples looked at one another and said, who could he possibly mean? Who could he possibly mean? Now here was what I want to point out. This verse is awesome. The disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting next to him at the table. Simon Peter motioned and said, who's he talking about? See, let me try to explain this. Peter and John have this thing going on, and you're going to hear about it all throughout Scripture. And Peter, whom obviously was a big deal, Peter was a big character. He was a big personality. He had a big um, ego, and he wanted to follow Jesus everywhere. He wanted to serve Jesus wholeheartedly, do anything for Jesus. And yet there was John, who was sitting next to Jesus. Maybe Peter was a little bit jealous. Maybe he was frustrated with John. Maybe he didn't like John that much because John is all cuddled up next to Jesus. Maybe Peter even thought, well, if anybody's going to betray him, it's probably that guy, the one kissing butt. Maybe. Maybe. Because Peter knew for sure it wasn't me. I didn't betray him. Ask that guy, the guy that's leaning on him. How about you? You, you ask Jesus who betrayed him. This is what's going on. Maybe that's it. A lot of scholars believe there's some truth to that. But look, I'm a dad. So I know that there's another side of this story too. Right? I know. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, like 12 little children. I have four, and I know how it goes in my house. Let me explain it to you. It's kind of like what the word is saying here when it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and interplay between Peter and John in this one. It's kind of like one of your children asking, you love me the most, right, Daddy? You've, you know that, right? This is why we got to be very careful with saying things like, I love you the most, or you're the best. Don't ever say you're the best to one of your kids because if another one hears it, you're in really big trouble, which, by the way, I've done, and I've learned how you can very, very sincerely get out of that. See, if you happen to say you're the best or I love you the most, there's a reason. You're the best at giving hugs. That leaves plenty of room for you to be the best at giving kisses. You can be the best at handing me the remote. There's lots of room to be the best, church. But our children want to feel loved. And so because they know how important the currency of love is, they sometimes ask among themselves. They wonder, who does daddy love the most? Who does mommy love the most? I asked this question to my kids on the way in. And emphatically, all the kids had the same answer. 
you love Griffin the most. You know, and they're like, but, you know, it's, there's a lot for Madison there. You know, maybe, Dad, you love Maddie the most, but Mommy loves Griffin the most. You know, and so we went through this. And the right answer to this, by the way, is I asked, the, you know, I asked Griffin. I, so I said, I said, Austin, you know, who does Daddy love the most? He's like, Madison. Lance, who does Daddy love the most? Probably Madison. Madison's like, who do you love the most? She's like, well, you love us all, Daddy. And Griffin... Griffin says, I said, who's daddy love the most? Griffin says, me. <laughs> you know, but he gets it, and I made each kid try to understand it. I said, Austin, who does daddy love the most? And it took him about 10 minutes to figure it out. I said, Austin, who's daddy love the most? He goes, me. Austin, who does daddy love the most? He goes, me. You understand that we love all of our kids with all that we have. But they know that there's a nuance let me explain it this way. If I had some secret where we're going on vacation or something great I'm going to do for the kids, and I told them I got this secret for you, and they all want to find out what it is. Or maybe somebody's done something wrong, and they have to tell me. Either way, the same logic holds true. They're not going to send the oldest in. For whatever reason, they're going to find the youngest one, and they're going to say, Daddy loves you the most, so you go in and ask Daddy. You ask him, you ask him what the secret is. He'll tell you. You go in and tell daddy we broke the TV. He loves you so much it won't matter. <laughs> you see, church, you know what I'm talking about. To me, there's some of that going on here. It literally says the disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting at the table. And Peter's like, hey, you, you go ask Jesus who's going to betray you. You want bad news? Get him to ask him. It's always easier hearing it from there. Because there's a truth. It's not just with your mom and your dad, but we as Christians, we know that miracles are granted to those whom God loves. Whom God loves, he listens to. Whom God loves, he responds to. Whom God loves, he'll do things. He'll go out of his way to do things for. Whom God loves, he will care for. The Bible says, whom God loves, he will lay his life down for them, whom God love. It says, I mean, look at this scripture. John 13, 23, the disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. This is the only person in all of scripture that it says anything like this. I mean, David, it says a man after God's own heart, which is, uh, that would be awesome for God to call me that. But this says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. To imply either that this, Jesus didn't love all the rest of them, which we know Jesus did love all of them, or that Jesus somehow loved this guy better. This guy's name was John. This is the disciple. So by definition, maybe we're led to believe that God loved John the most. A lot of people in Scripture talk a lot about this John character and how much God loved him. I used to think that God loved John the most. If I had to ask, which disciple did God love the most? John was the disciple that when he's on the cross, he's dying, he's looking down at his own mother, Mary, who gave birth to him. He then looks to John, who's standing next to his mother, and says, John, please take care of my mother. Clearly, people can be led to believe that John was loved the most. Because it says in Scripture, five times in five different places, the disciple whom Jesus loved when he was referring to John. Until you look a little closer. 
Look a little closer and you'll find that all five times in Scripture when it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, referring to John, it's in the book of John. He wrote it about himself. Every single time. It's nowhere else in Scripture except when John himself is talking about himself. In other words, John is boasting of God's love for him. Church, we know this, right? How many times have we said back in the 80s and the 90s, Jesus loves me. Go up to smile. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. This I know. This is where it comes from. You see, not only did John understand that Jesus loved him, he believed that Jesus loved him. It wasn't just true. He knew it. And he didn't just know it. He bragged about it, church. The Bible says it's not enough to know it's true. You must believe that it's true. It says we must believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that God is Lord. Why isn't the same thing with love? Why don't we believe in our heart that God loves us and confess with our mouth God loves us? It's a lot like my son walking through that room and it would go something like this. Imagine Madison coming in the room. In my office. Daddy, daddy. Yeah, honey. I'm the daughter you love so much. Please tell me what the secret is. Or I'm the daughter you love so much. Don't punish me. And you know I'm melted at that point. I have no recourse. There's no way. Mom, mom, get in here. Or it's a lot like this. You know, I was thinking about it in, in another way to make sure you got the point really clear of what's happening here in Scripture, what John is doing and what this is about and why it's so important. Imagine, if you will, that the pastors here at Kingsway meet, and we do every week. Imagine Pastor Amber, Pastor Chris, Pastor Bridget, we go into a room and we have a meeting and we talk about the services and worship and we talk about what we need to pray for and who we need to help and how we need to focus our energy because we have very limited time, energy, and money. So we want to make sure we're very focused. What we need to do next week, what we need to do the month after, what we need to do for the year. And we talk about all these things and then we pray. And imagine I came up here and I had a pulpit and I could tell you about it like I'm doing right now. If I understood what was going on in Scripture here, I would say it something like this. It was a beautiful day when Kingsway had a meeting with the pastors of the church. Men and women of God gathered together to pray for the church and the congregation. Among them was Pastor Amber, the worship leader, Pastor Chris, the youth pastor, Pastor Bridget, the wife of the senior pastor, and the pastor whom Jesus loved. And they talked about all sorts of things in the meeting of great consequence. And when it came time to prayer, they asked the pastor whom Jesus loved to pray. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. It's so important that you get this point. And we're laughing because it is sort of funny. It is sort of humorous as we think about talking like that and thinking about ourselves like that. The problem is we often think of ourselves the opposite of that. And what is the opposite of that? That you're not loved? No, that's the people out there. The people out there who aren't in a church today, they don't feel love and they don't understand who God is. But all of you who know who God is, you sometimes struggle. And I don't think it's struggling with Knowing that God loves you, I think you struggle on another area. And so this is why we have Peter and John. This is spelling out the picture. There's a struggle going on in the Bible between Peter 
and John, two men of God, two people who served God with all they had, two people who had big egos, huge egos, in fact. You know Peter and how boisterous he was. John says, oh, forget Peter. I raced him one day and I beat him. That's actually in Scripture. Right? He's, it, it, there was a struggle went on between them when Jesus died and then he resurrected and, and he was showing himself before the disciples again and he, he was on the, the shore and they were fishing. All the disciples were looking over and they saw a man. John was the first one to recognize that, that man, that glorified body. That was Jesus. He must not have looked the exact same. John recognized him right away and he was sure to tell Peter, oh, I, that's Jesus. I saw him first. I mean, they're very competitive people. It's the same John. And he was sure to tell Peter every time he was around him, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. And if that wasn't enough, when he was around Jesus, the Bible says he used to cuddle up next to him. He put his head in his bosom. He would literally like lay on the man. This is John. But then there's Peter and there's the struggle between Peter and John. Because Peter loved to say, I love you, Lord. I love God. I love God. I love God. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything for you. Nothing is outside the realm of possibility. Whatever you ask, I will do. This is the same guy who at the end of the Gospels, Jesus said, do you love me? He says, I love you, Lord. And he says, do you love me? I love you, Lord. Do you love me? I love you, Lord. Three times. But John, John doesn't say that. John says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to talk about my love for him. I'm going to talk about how much he loves me. Now, you may think that's arrogant. Both these guys are very arrogant. But the point I'm trying to point out is there's a struggle in Scripture between the Old Testament and the New. Between the law and the grace. Think about that. The law is tricky. The law is tricky. Laws were meant to be followed but God put him there for a purpose, understanding that it was impossible to follow all of the laws. Impossible to get into heaven through the law. He knew that, which is why he sent Jesus. The Pharisees didn't understand that, the Jewish people at that time, so they put more laws and more laws, thinking if we have enough laws and we follow all the laws, we'll be good enough. Then Jesus came and he made it so tricky. He said these words. He said, the law says... Thou shalt not commit murder. But you can't follow that. Because he says, even if you're angry, even if you're angry, you have committed murder in your heart. So you understand that the Bible said it's impossible to not murder. Because ladies, you ever been angry at someone? Ever happened? Ever? One time? One time. One time. A little bit. Bible says that's the same as murder in your heart. And then before you get too excited about, oh, you're excluded, he then follows up. Jesus says, the Bible says do not commit adultery. But even if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. This is the law. Guys, you ever, ever looked at a girl? You can say, no, not me. You can get blissful and bashful, but there are a lot of pretty women in the world. Now, of course, my wife is the most pretty among them, but there are a lot of pretty women. And so your eyes, your eyes gravitate to beautiful things, and I'm sure you've thought all sorts of things. This is the law, and Jesus is saying, it's impossible. Do you not understand? It can't be about what we need to do. We will fail. 
We will be left empty. We will be unfulfilled. The law cannot fulfill. It is not love. You see, in case you're confused, he said, let's talk about love. In the law, the Bible says, you must love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Do that. And then you abide by the law. Now, church, I love God with all I got, but I tell you, I'm sure of it. There are times it's not all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. There may be sometimes it is, and there are many times that it isn't. Do you understand, even if you attempt to follow the law, you will fail? If church is about following the law, we have failed. The law cannot fulfill. People leave the churches all the time because we create all these laws and rules and policies, and people cannot follow them and so they feel like they are failures oftentimes many people leave churches not because they're rebellious or because they're sin many people leave churches because they're sincere they're genuine that i can't go there because i can't live up to that standard i don't want to be that church you see the law tells us we're not good enough the law tells us we're not trying hard enough and look this is me too guys if i'm to be your pastor Aren't I supposed to be the example? Doesn't that mean that every day I go home, I have to say, I got to love the Lord God more than all you, more than Brother Chuck, more than Brother Clarence, more than Amber, more than Peggy. I got to love the Lord God more than all. That's a lot of pressure. The law tells me I'm not good enough, tells me I don't spend enough time with God, tells me I'm not trying hard enough. That's hard. And when I put all my energy into it, Sometimes Satan will say it's still not enough. And he'll point me to scriptures proving that it's not enough. But then John said, and we all know this one, 3, 16, Pastor Sean, God so loved you. Despite what you're capable of doing, despite what you're not doing, he loved you. And he gave his only begotten son. And all you need to do is believe in it. You see, in the law, there's something called condemnation, guilt. You try to follow it, you try to do it, and you're going to fall short and feel, feel unfulfilled, feel condemned. But the Bible says that God is not here to condemn you. He is the God of love. He loves you. He does not want you to feel broken down or destroyed. He wants you to feel lifted up. Do you understand today? If you're having a tough day, if you're having a rough week, if you feel sometimes in a rut, it is important that you do not think about all the things you need to do. You need to think about what he's already done and how much he loves you. Church, I'm encouraging you to boast of his love for you. His love fulfills. It says it so clearly. Literally, when they asked him about this context of love and grace and law, and the disciples were totally confused because all they understood was law, Jesus says it himself, I've come not to destroy but to fulfill. I've come not to ruin the laws and break the laws down. I've come not to destroy you and make you feel guilty and condemned. I've come to give you love because I know that will fulfill you. Being loved is the single most powerful motivation on the face of the earth. Even our children know it. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to fulfill you. The Bible says that greater love has no man than this, 
that he lay his life down for one another. And so God did just that, laid his life down for you and for me, did it before we ever sinned, did it before we ever stepped on this planet, did it alone. Why? Why is this so important? Because so often in charismatic churches, and I talk about worship and preaching and excitement because I'm a passionate guy, we talk about our own love for him. We boast of our love for him. We brag about our love for him. I love the Lord. I love the Lord in our worship. I love the Lord. I love you so much. And it's not so much that it's look at me, look at me, but we feel that if we love him more, if we can find a way to love him more, somehow we'll get more of him. Do you understand that he gave his son before you ever said a word? Do you understand he loved you before you ever had a thought? He loved you before you ever decided how much you would love him. We will fall short, church. We will stay in our pews and we will raise our hands and scream about how much we love God, how much we love God, how much we love God, until the real trials and tribulations come. And then our hands fall down. Then our shoulders fall down. Then we sit down and then we're out the door because we're like, we don't love God no more. I don't love this God. I can't love this God. I don't understand this God. And we're confused and tormented. And now we're going to another church or worse, no church at all or worse. A life of sin that we can't get out of. You see, because that's the difference between the law and grace. We want to be sitting in our pews not talking about how much we love God, but acknowledging how much he loves us. Show me how much you love me, Lord. And let me acknowledge, let me see your love in a whole new way. Open my heart to how much you love me, Lord God. That's what we should be saying. John understood this simple fact. He understood that his worth came from how much God loved him. And understanding and reminding, he could go anywhere and say, I know the boss. I can go and do anything because he's got my back. Nothing you say will come against me. No weapon you do will form against me. No way will you take me out and this car won't end my life or my ministry because God loves me. It's not what we can offer God that gives us our worth. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he was loved by God before he ever did one ministry act. He went and he went into the, the waters with John the Baptist, John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptized him before he'd done anything. And he came up out of the waters and, and the Lord God said, this is my son who I am well pleased. I love him before he did anything. He loves you before you do anything amazing in ministry. He loves you. And so, I want you today to boast of his love for you. I want you to boast of his love for you. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus, God, he loves you as you are. He made you. Your mistakes, he loves you. Sinner, definitely loves you. Christian, loves you too. Disciple, loves you. Arrogant, loves you. Struggling, loves you. He loves you as you are because he knows us. You see, the truth will set us free, but you need to know the truth. He knows us, and therefore he loves us. Listen, you got to get a hold of this. He loves who you are, not who you ought to be. 
Not who you're thinking you should be, not who you want to be. He loves who you are today, who you are right now. He loves that person, not the person you pretend to be, not the person you show me who you want to be. The person that you think and you feel that no one knows, that person, that's the one he loves. Can you honestly accept that kind of love? Or do you push him off because that love is just too personal? It's hard when we think that God would know all those things about me and yet still love me. It brings me to tears. Can you accept that love? Do you see? I, just I get this image for a second. It was very hard for Peter to accept that kind of love. Peter said, look, I will show you how much I love you by all that I will do. Everything that I will do, I will follow. I will go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll never betray you, Jesus. I will put all of my passion into it. And yet, who denied Jesus three times? Your love for him will fail. No matter how great you worship, no matter how great you know the Bible, you will fail at times. But God's love for you is like you laying your head on a bosom of God himself and him cradling you. Like John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you understand one of the reasons that I believe Jesus came to planet Earth was to walk with us and talk with us? He needed you to know that he knows you. He needed you to know that he knows what it's like to be human. He needs you to know that he knows what it's like to suffer. That he isn't just this God up in some kingdom that doesn't understand human nature. That he himself became a human to feel it, to experience it to go through the struggles, the temptations, the anxieties. Do you know what happens to a child who's not loved? They're half a person. They begin to act out. They're not who they were designed to be. A teenager who's not loved makes really bad decisions. Becomes a shadow of who they're supposed to be and often gives themselves away. An adult who's not loved becomes depressed, becomes someone who searches for it in all the wrong places. You guys know what I'm talking about. Jesus came to make sure you know that he loved you. This is about getting excited, church, getting excited that God loves you and how much he loves you. Not about how much you love him, we're going to sing this song, church. And if you can, I want you to stand. I want you to listen to the words at first. The chorus is very simple. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves me. How he loves you. How he loves us. Church, he sees you today where you are. He knows you today better than I do where you are. Church, he loves you where you are. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God 
and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.